In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to talk this morning about prayer, specifically prayer for our leaders. Paul, in our reading from 1 Timothy, finally gets to the body of his letter. All of chapter 1, part of which we looked at last week, is essentially introduction and greetings. But now with chapter 2, Paul moves into the formal body of his letter and he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not just this text alone, but it's texts like these that give us the rationale for why we pray every Sunday for our political Leaders, We don't have a favorite political party here at this church, and you will never see a politician on this property giving a campaign speech so long as I have anything to say about it. Because here, when we are here, we serve Christ and his kingdom, and I pray that that continues when you walk outside those doors. But we will pray for our leaders, whether we think they're doing a good job or not, because, Paul says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I remember when I was at All Souls, there was this sweet older woman who was scheduled to read the prayers of the people on the Sunday after President Obama had won the 2008 election. And she she walked to that lectern, And she read through the prayers of the people. She prayed for George, our president. And then she said, and for Barack, our president-elect. She outwardly groaned. And I've told that story before as a sort of example of someone letting their politics influence what's happening at church. But there's something to be said For the fact that despite her frustration, despite her open and outward disgust, she still prayed for him. She still did exactly what Paul said she was supposed to do. She prayed for her soon-to-be leader. And I'm aware that merely bringing up politics at all, much less in a sermon, is like playing with matches near a a bunch of kindling. But I think it has to be said That whether you're on the right or on the left, whether you're an R or a D or something in between, our natural instinct is to pray for our guy, whoever that is. What Paul exhorts us to do, not just on a Sunday, but every day, is to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or not. Ironically, if we don't like them and think they're doing a bad job, that's even more reason why we should be praying for them and lifting them up to God in prayer 
intercessions and thanksgiving. But instead, I think our typical response was summed up quite well with that lady at All Souls. Uh, And remember, if we use a conservative date for 1 Timothy, Paul was writing in the mid-60s when Nero is emperor of Rome. The Roman historian Suetonius says that Nero burned parts of Rome to make room for his golden house. And another Roman historian, Tacitus, says that when Nero needed a scapegoat for the fire, he blamed and then persecuted Christians. He's even said to have burned Christians alive to light fires for his lavish parties. And this is the guy in power in Rome when Paul says that intercessions, prayers, and thanksgivings should be made for kings and for all in high positions. So if Paul can exhort people to pray for Nero, then I can exhort you to pray for our current president and the president after that and the president after that. There are a few more things I want to say beyond just we should be perpetually praying for those that God has placed and authority over us. First, it's important here that we notice the reason Paul exhorts us to pray for our leaders. Maybe this is arguably the most important point of this text. He says that we do this so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What we want in this life is peace. This is the same thing the prophet Jeremiah said to the exiles who were hoping for, praying for, waiting for the overthrow of Babylon. He said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That word welfare could be translated peace in its peace you will find your peace. There were certainly prophets who were called to speak against Babylon, and those prophets had better do their jobs. But for the rest of the people, they were to pray to the Lord for Babylon and its peace. For in its peace, they would find peace. So also we pray for our leaders that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. But notice what else Paul says. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in verse 7, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth and not lying. A teacher to the Gentiles or of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul understands that when our environment, our world, our culture is at peace, when we are able to lead peaceful and quiet lives that are godly and dignified in every way, this is the context in which the gospel can flourish. Certainly, persecution also breeds um, growth in the gospel. But Paul understood as a missionary when he was in safety, when he could travel safety, when he could move from city to city safely, that made preaching the gospel to the whole world even easier. It is God's desire that all people of every race, color, and nationality hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when the world is in turmoil, that process, that project becomes more difficult. 
So we pray for peace in the empires of this world so that the empires of this world will be at peace and the gospel of Jesus Christ can spread and all people can be saved. That's part of the reason that we pray for our leaders so the world can be at peace and the gospel can spread. But that leads me to my second and last additional point. It's subtle, but notice what Paul says in verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. In Paul's day, it was not uncommon for emperors, kings to refer to themselves as soter, as saviors. So what Paul is saying is, yes, pray for our leaders, no matter who they are, no matter if you like them or not, pray for them, but also don't fall for their propaganda. The world has a savior and he's not Caesar. There is a leader of the free world, but he's not POTUS. Kings come, kings go, empires rise, empires fall, but Christ and his kingdom, they are forever because God is our savior. Which is why Paul says right in the middle of this, for there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God is our salvation. God is our Savior. God is our hope and no one else. So pray for our leaders. Pray for those that God has placed in authority over you, but they are not gods. They are not saviors. They are not our hope, nor are they our salvation, no matter what they say. God is our Savior. Amen.